We all have bucket lists. As a lifelong sports fan, mine is full of tons of different sporting events and venues, from the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and beyond. However, my greatest bucket list item is something I want to share with the world and fans like me. What if you could attend a home college football game for all 130 and counting FBS programs? Seems crazy, right? Join me, your host, Bobby Wilson, as I take you along for the ride to see all the FBS venues and more. This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Glad to be back on. Hope everyone's doing well. Um, another week into the off season of uh, uh, college football. This tends to be a time of year where things are a little slower, but now with the transfer portal, things are just heating up. So excited uh, for a lot of teams getting some new faces and uh, especially the UConn Huskies. And I will be talking about that later on on the show. <clears throat> uh, I'm going to uh, touch base on a handful of things. The whole pod system that uh, is being discussed uh, with the NCA talking about getting rid of conference uh, divisions. Um, so... A little bit of talk there. I'll look into the SEC and maybe how the pods could set up there in the future maybe. Um, in the Coach's Corner segment, I'm going to talk about New Mexico State and their new head coach, Jerry Kill. Um, heck of a resume by him. He's a fantastic coach, but I'll get into that. Then the armchair quarterback segment, I will be breaking down the Big Ten. Um, excited for that because um, there is obviously a clear number one and then a big gap between the next couple the the rest but there's still some talented guys there so i'll get into that and then i had a listener uh send in a lot of questions uh so i'll get into those as well um i guess i'll dive into some of those questions first um being the first one being talking about uh text the texas longhorns and uh is Steve Sarkeesian the right guy to take them to the next level in the SEC? Um, I tend to agree with with this person that Sark is not the guy that Texas needs when it comes to the SEC level. Uh, I just don't feel like I don't feel like he's a good enough good enough coach at that level. Um, obviously, time will tell. Maybe he'll be able to bring in the right type of players to Texas to compete, but I just, I don't see it personally. If I was Texas, I'm going after Dave Aranda at Baylor and I'm going to throw him however much money it takes to get him to, uh, to jump over to Austin. Um, but if I was any program and my coach left, Dave Aranda would be the first one I would have in line, uh, because he is a heck of a football coach. Just the way he turned that Baylor program around so quickly. Um, they're my favorite heading into the Big 12 this year um, with a very distinct possibility of being able to play in the college football playoff. So I, I do agree that that Steve Sarkeesian isn't the answer, but of course we could be proven wrong by that. But if that's the case, I would get Dave Aranda on the on the phone as quick as possible. Um, another question and uh, dealing with Texas A&M and money um, with the boosters and just how they have so much money and everything. There's just, there, there could be a plethora of things. I mean, 
at these big time schools like that, you got big time alumni who are in all kinds of businesses and I have to imagine being in Texas that there's some oil involved, oil money involved and just, just so many different things down in Texas that it could be a little bit of everything, honestly, but it got me thinking to, uh, there was a high school football coach just this week who tweeted out about, uh, Texas A&M recruiting one of his kids or some of their players and they didn't pay enough postage for, uh, the mail. And he said he wasn't going to pay it. Now, I, I think that's rather arrogant and clickbait on that coach's part. Um, trying to call out Texas A&M like that, you should just be thankful that um, a school of that pedigree in the SEC is is looking and looking at and recruiting some of your players. You should just be happy in that regard. But at the same time, you know some intern or GA got a real chewing for that. Um, but nonetheless, um, another question dealt with uh, Clemson football and the quarterback situation there. Uh, I, I kind of spoke to this when I did my ACC quarterback rankings, but um, I believe DJ Uga Ungale will be the starter at the beginning of the season, but then Klubnik, I think, will take over quickly, and I think he'll be the guy. I think he has a ceiling uh, like no other. I think he has the potential to be a fantastic college quarterback and a great NFL quarterback too. I think I just watching some film on him, seeing him play in some all American games. I mean, the young man can play some football and, uh, I'm a fan and I think he's going to do really well. And I think he's that next guy. I think he's going to be the next man. I think Ugo Angale will start the season, but I think it gets taken away pretty quickly. Um, another question dealt with, uh, how do we curb recruiting in the aspect of uh, so many, a handful of teams getting a lot of the best players, mainly SEC teams like LSU, Alabama, Georgia, the teams in the past that have been able to do it. And then you look at USC might be able to do it now with some of the money, with the NIL money. Uh, I mean, I, I personally don't want this to happen, and I hope it doesn't happen because it's a free market. But... I think one way that you can do that is to uh, put a cap on the NIL money that a player can make. I think uh, <clears throat> I think that's I think that's probably the best way you could go about it. Uh, again, I'm not a fan of that, but uh, it's the first thing that comes to mind when I think about it. Um, just putting a cap on how much a player can make. Uh, maybe it's a million dollars. And then when they transfer, cut that money. Um, so, so it kind of hinders some of players from transferring. Um, maybe you even cut it in half for every time they transfer for the cap that they can make. So I, I think that, that that's a possibility. Um, again, I'm not a fan of it, but <clears throat> I think it's the quickest way to possibly fix that problem. Um, looking into uh, another question, my expectations for USC's defense um, and their offensive line. I mean, obviously those are their two two huge holes. I mean, their offensive line I think is going to be sufficient enough to to handle what they need to handle. Um, 
I, I mean, obviously they have some talented guys on in the skill positions and then obviously at quarterback, um, and they need to protect Caleb Williams um, at all costs. But at the same time, I mean, I feel like Lincoln Riley is a good is obviously a good enough coach where he's going to figure out ways to alleviate that issue um, because obviously it wasn't something they tackled too hard in the transfer portal. Um, from the defensive side of things, um, I mean, they're going to have athletes, you know, that being in L.A. and California, they're going to have athletes that they can throw out there. But, I mean, it's definitely not going to be those vintage USC defenses that we're used to seeing, obviously. But at the same time, I mean, I think their offense is more than capable to score enough points to <clears throat> to make their defense at least um, be able to keep up and handle teams. And, and, I mean, I will say, like, the middle and bottom of the Pac-12 uh, isn't, isn't what it used to be. So I think for USC's case, I mean, obviously Oregon, Utah, very, very good. I mean, UCLA is going to be pretty good. And uh, so, I mean, they're, they're going to be in some battles. Um, but, I mean, you're going to play Arizona State, Arizona. I mean, some other teams in Cal, Stanford, some other teams down the line in that league. And they're just not Colorado. They're just not up to that level. So I, I don't think you have to have this elite defense to be able to handle some of those teams. And I also agree with this listener about uh, them saying the Pac-12 needs to utilize the transfer portal heavily um, with schools like Colorado, Cal, Arizona. I mean, we've seen Arizona State almost exclusively lose their team to the ta- to the transfer portal. So it, <clears throat> just a really, really crazy thing going on there. But, I mean, I agree. A school like Colorado or Arizona, I mean, it just feels – and Arizona State, for that matter, just feel like really good landing spots for guys in the portal, wherever they may be. If they're a West Coast guy, I mean, it just makes sense to, I mean, Arizona's a really nice place. It's warm, all this and that. Colorado, it's a beautiful place. And opportunity to go play right away is the key there. And I mean, especially those three schools I mentioned, and you can throw Cal in there too. I mean, those four programs, you could go and play right away. Um, and I even think guys transferring up from, say, the Mountain West be the same scenario. They'd be able to play right away. There's no reason why they wouldn't be able to. And I completely agree that those schools need to be utilizing the transfer portal heavily. Um, <clears throat> another question, uh, who do I see signing um, – Manning um it's getting interesting with him and his recruiting um if 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 you told me that I have to pick somebody right now I would say Ole Miss um obviously the family ties to the program but I I just feel like Lane Kiffin right now is is the man when it comes to uh recruiting so I I just feel He's going to be able to get it done and uh, take him to the next level and get get Manning in this case. Um, but I, I could very well see USC swooping in there with a bunch of money trying to get him. You can see Texas and Texas A&M doing the same thing. I don't think he ends up at Alabama. I really don't. Um, 
I just I just don't feel like he's going to be their guy or that he's going to want that. <clears throat> and then thoughts on Michigan State. The, um, they, the, the Michigan State has done, and Mel Tucker, have just done a tremendous job since he got hired there. I, he is the perfect hire for them. I mean, just they're, they're recruiting tremendously. They're... <clears throat> Their trajectory, I think, is the sky's the limit. Personally, I really, really think that. I, I personally think that they can overtake Michigan. I really do. And it pains me to say that, being a Michigan fan my whole life. But I just feel like more guys are going to gravitate to Mel Tucker than they are to Jim Harbaugh. That's just my opinion. Um, and when I do my Big Ten quarterbacks uh, later on, you'll see I'm – I'm high on Peyton Thorne, who they have there now, and <clears throat> they're Michigan State's always known for their run game and their defense, um, and th things that necessarily weren't the greatest last year. But I think they're going to get back to where they need to be, and I, I really do. I really think they'll be there, and I, I think that they can make a run to uh, to a Big Ten title. I really think that they're. I think that they're that good. Um, time will tell. But and then I, I loved this question because it's something that I've been thinking about and uh, intrigued about is expansion in the Big Ten, realignment with the Big Ten, and uh, they they haven't been as active this time around. Now, obviously, the first time through they were they were almost leading the charge, you could say. But uh, this time around, you haven't really heard much. Um, there were the rumors for a while with Kansas um, from a basketball perspective, and their football program is getting better. Um, but one team I'm going to come back to that I think uh, I think it, it, the next realignment occurring um, is going to be big. I think it's the UConn Huskies. I think. What you, I've said it before and I've said it again. What UConn brings to the table from an entire athletic standpoint, men's and women's basketball speak for itself. Four, four titles in men's basketball in the 2000s. Women's basketball, you, you don't even have to speak about it with how great they are. Baseball and softball winning the conference. Um, regular season titles. Um, just, you can go down the line with other sports as well. I mean, what you're what they're bringing to the table from that aspect is huge and then once the football program gets to where it is going to be and i'm going to get to that and i know i've talked about it a lot um the sky's the limit i i firmly believe that and i know i know there's a lot of people out there who who uh think uconn football is a laughing stock but it is not and it is times are changing and things are going to get things are getting better and they're I think they're the next in line. But then it leads to you're obviously going to want an even amount of teams. So who would be that next team that you could add? And I kind of, I kind of look at possibly Iowa State. Uh, just kind of makes sense from the perspective of where they're at. Um, I, I mean, you just kind of go down the line looking at some of these other programs, um, just that one comes to mind. I think Cincinnati made sense, but with them going to the Big 12, I think they might stay that way, but you never know. 
I think Notre Dame obviously makes sense, but with them being an ACC member in every other sport, be interesting to see how that would go. But that's my thoughts there on some of those questions. I appreciate those questions. Those are interesting things to talk about, and um, <clears throat> uh, I, I enjoy that. And keep them coming, that's for sure. Um, now, now I want to uh, talk about um, the the conferences and getting rid of divisions and all this and that. It, it sounds like that this is eventually going to happen in every conference. Um, time will tell. I mean, the first one that was brought up, it sounds like the Mountain West is a done deal for 2023 to get rid of divisions. Sounds like the ACC is going to do it. Then the SEC has come into talks this week. Big Ten. Other, I mean, so I, it just seems like it's going to go by the wayside. So <clears throat> it, from – from things that I've been seeing doing research is uh, SEC is most likely to move to a pods instead of divisions once Texas and Oklahoma join. Again, that's probably not till the 2025 season, which then would lead to four teams per pod. You would play the three teams in your pod every year and then six other conference games, which uh, makes sense, I think. And then an interesting thing, and I'm not a fan of this, but it, it makes sense. Um, according to a lot of reports, Texas A&M has made it clear to the SEC that they do not want to have the same pod as Texas, which I get it, your rivals, but at the same time, like, go beat each other. I mean, that's we want that rivalry. It's one of the bigger rivalries, and we've been missing it since they separated from the Big 12 and SEC. Now they're coming back together. This is what we want as fans. So, I mean, when I first look at it, when I'm looking at the pod system, thinking about, uh, I think there's two ways to look at it. I think if you separate Texas A&M and Texas, I think the pods would have to be, first one being Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, and Missouri. Um, next one, Texas A&M, LSU, Mississippi State, and Ole Miss. Then uh, Vandy, Tennessee, Kentucky, and South Carolina. And then Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Florida. Now, if you have a pod with Alabama, Auburn, and Georgia where they're playing each, and Florida where they're playing each other every year, I mean, I think that's insane. So I think there might be a – I think they might want to look at that and maybe not do it that way because you're putting four of your strongest teams against each other every year. Um, but personally, I want Texas and Texas A&M together. So if I was going to do it, I would do Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Texas, then Arkansas. And then my next one would be uh, LSU, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Alabama. Then I would go Mizzou, Vandy, Tennessee, Kentucky, and then I would go Auburn, Georgia, South Carolina, Florida. That's what I would do. Um, I think, I think if you're putting, I think I think you need you need to put <clears throat> Texas and Texas A&M in the same pod. I really do. I, I'm that's what we want as fans. We want to see that game, and uh, you're missing out if you don't allow that. And I and I was actually thinking of this the other day. What if they, <laughs> what if the SEC? I was like, hey, we're not going to have Texas and Oklahoma play every year. That that would cause such a rift in college football. No red river rivalry. It would just be insane. But 
they're obviously not going to do that. They would be absolutely insane if they did, or if they did do that. But uh, nonetheless, I think uh, uh, just just be it, it would just be crazy if that happened. But I, I think there's no way that they make a pod of Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and Auburn. Now, from the perspective of where they're located, it makes sense. But at the same time, I mean, what if you have a two-loss Georgia team? I mean, they still could very well be one of the top four teams in the country. So it's an interesting thing to look at, um, head-scratching, to say the least. Now I'm going to dive into uh, talking a little bit more about UConn football. Every week I spend some time on the show talking about UConn football with my partnership with uh, Sidelines UConn and my good friend Michael there who runs that account. We work together and <clears throat> help each other out and everything. But uh, some huge, huge news yesterday for UConn. UConn was able to get two more gra- two more transfers from the portal, a wide receiver from Texas and a defensive back from Missouri. Um huge huge ads for the program that add uh some much needed speed but some uh much needed experience as well and and i've already been a huge huge supporter of the yukon wide receiver group and the young man they just added from texas is one of the fastest guys i've seen dewan harrison um is the texas transfer just a, a blur on the field uh, so that they're adding another guy to that wide receiver room who I already think by the end of the year I've said it before and I'll say it again this is probably my hottest take I guess you could say by the end of the year the UConn wide receiver room will be considered one of the top 10 wide receiver rooms in the country that's my opinion and I firmly stand by it these guys aren't household names but Keelan Marion and Cam Ross are fantastic wide receivers and America's going to find that out this year when UConn um, plays to a much higher level um, and does a much better job then they added Nigel Fitzgerald from the transfer portal out of Old Dominion he is a huge red zone threat he is a big wide receiver he's going to he's going to do some good things in the offense then Aaron Turner and Matt Drayton two returners that are going to going to really see some higher usage i believe with uh with how good this passing game is going to be then adding dewan harrison from texas they're just going to get him in space and watch him go um but but just in the off season here uconn has added players from missouri texas michigan penn state kentucky and texas tech now I think if you would have asked anyone that heading into the season, they would have, or heading into the off season, they probably would have laughed at you. <clears throat> but there hasn't been a better hire. I shouldn't say hasn't been a better hire, but there hasn't been somebody who fits the bill of what a program needed this off season. Well, then what Jim Mora has done for the University of Connecticut this off season. He is the perfect hire. He was the perfect hire, and. It has just been a home run for the entire offseason. And the excitement around the program is 
is that a high is that I'm not gonna say an all time high because this team did play in a BCS bowl game in the two thousands. Not many people know that, but it, they they did. And uh but it's a big deal what's going on there. So now I'm gonna turn into uh my coach's corner segment and talk about one of my favorite coaches be, just because he's so likable and, and a guy that you just root for uh jerry kill who this offseason was hired as the next head coach at new mexico state university obviously one of the tougher jobs at the fbs level um they they've been been independent for a handful of years now and it's it's difficult for them but next year they're joining conference usa and i think that's going to allow them to to kind of do some things that's really going to be able to help the program. I think having a, especially a program like theirs, having a conference tie-in is huge. But uh, and Jerry Kill, he's 60 years old, so I mean, he's obviously not the youngest coach out there. But uh, this is a uh, this is a guy who's been there and done that. I mean, he started coaching in the mid 80s, um, got his first head coaching job in the mid 90s at a. Uh, Saginaw Valley State, which as a former Grand Valley State uh, basketball team member my, myself, I know Saginaw Valley very well with that rivalry. Then he went to Emporia State, another D2. Um, then he went to Southern Illinois, and he saw a ton of success when he was at Southern Illinois. Three conference titles in a row there. Just had amazing success there. <clears throat> Made the move to Northern Illinois then. And that's when I really got to learn learn and know about him because that's when uh, I had just finished high school at that time. But NIU was on was on a roll of winning conference titles then, and he won a title um, and parlayed that into the Minnesota job. And he was doing really really well in Minnesota until he had some really really bad health issues. And he had to step away from coaching for a while, but he was doing great at Minnesota. <clears throat> Took a couple years off after that. Got back into it with Rutgers as an offensive coordinator um, for, for a year. Then went to Virginia Tech as an assistant to the head coach. And then the past couple years, he's been at TCU. And finished the year this year at TCU as the interim head coach. And now is the head man at New Mexico State. So obviously a hire of a coach who's been there and done that and like i said new mexico state is a difficult job but if there's a man who can turn it around it's jerry kill because he's like i said he's so likable and the players love and gravitate to him and he he does a tremendous job with with what he has obviously i talked about how he's been Southern Illinois, Northern Illinois. He's, I mean, he he's been around um, and done really, really well at every stop he's been at. <clears throat> so, but like I always do in these segments, I look back at the 2021 season. Obviously, a tough year for New Mexico State. Um, got beat pretty bad by UTEP. Lost at San Diego State. They lost to their rival New Mexico at their place. They beat South Carolina State, who won the HBCU National Championship. So 
I mean, granted, they only won by eight, but still, South Carolina State was a better football team than people think. Lost to Hawaii, lost at San Jose State, but they kept it close. Um, lost at Nevada pretty bad. Then they lost at Hawaii, lost to Utah State, and then they played Alabama and Kentucky back-to-back weeks, so you already know how that went. Um, then they did beat UMass to finish the year. So <clears throat> just, uh, I mean, it was a difficult season, obviously. But like I said, the, the New Mexico State as an independent is a really, really difficult job. But you look at their schedule heading into this year, and they open up week zero, they host Nevada. And Nevada is coming off of a season where they had a great season, but they lost their head coach to Colorado State. Um, multiple NFL draft picks from the offense are gone. Um, and oh, Basically, half the team hit the transfer portal. So Nevada's in a state of flux. So there's a possibility there for New Mexico State. Being at home um, to, to, to get something done there. Um, I, I, I definitely wouldn't put money on that or, or say that it's going to happen. But there's the possibility where they could do it. Then they turn around the next week and they go to Minnesota. Um, so that one will be interesting. Minnesota has a history of losing uh, non-conference games to teams that they shouldn't lose to. So you never know. Then they turn around, they go to UTEP, and they go to Wisconsin. Um, so a tough stretch there. Then they host Hawaii. Then they host FIU and host New Mexico. And then host San Jose State. So that four-game stretch there, albeit uh, Hawaii is going to be – a little bit better than they were last year. Um, FIU is going to, you don't know what you're going to get with them, but that there's a stretch here and then they play New Mexico as well and San Jose state, but there's a stretch there where maybe they could get a win or two. And then they go to UMass. So that you look at that, they're like, there's a game that they could win there. Possibly host Lamar. They'll, they should win that. Then they finish the year going to Mizzou and to Liberty, which both of those <clears throat> I would say are almost definitive losses. But in the middle of the season there, especially if they're able to find a way to beat Nevada and gain some momentum, I think there there's a way <clears throat> where this team could win three or four games, potentially. Um, again, a difficult situation. They lose a ton of players from last year uh, who left for via the transfer portal or, or graduation. But at the same time, um, they – had a much better <clears throat> recruiting class than I uh, thought they would. Did really well in the transfer portal. And then uh, had an overall rating of 86 uh, via 24-7 uh, sports. So much much higher than I thought they would get. They, they always hit. They're in a really good situation where they're located to get JUCO guys. They can get guys from New Mexico schools, from the Oklahoma schools, from the Texas schools, from the California schools. So they, they're in a really good spot when it comes to that. So they landed, they landed some really good talent from the JUCO ranks. And then uh, from the transfer portal, they got a cornerback from Michigan. So that'll be really, really helpful. They also got a cornerback from Miami, Ohio. Uh, running back from TCU, who's going to, I think, see a lot of time for them. And Amate Watkins. Then uh, – two FCS um, uh, guys coming up, a defensive lineman from Murray State and a center from Southern Utah. 
And if you don't know this, Southern Utah had a tremendous offensive line last year. One of their guys, one of their tackles was drafted. <clears throat> so this young man making the move to the FBS level um, could really help them. Um, and their number one recruit that they signed was also an offensive tackle from uh, Arizona, 6'6", 270-pound offensive tackle. So uh, doing some good work on the O-line there. Uh, again, this like like I keep saying, this, this is a difficult job. But Jerry Kill is the type of coach that – that just finds ways to win at these jobs. He just does. And he, again, he's so likable. And he's a guy that, that as a fan myself, I gravitate to because you just want, you, you just, you love his enthusiasm and what he stands for as a coach. Um, so uh, if, if they're able to get, get some momentum early in the season, I really think that they can get three or four wins out of this year. I really do. Just because they have that stretch in the middle of the season with uh, four home games, and then they go to UMass after that, so I think there's there's a way, there's a there's a way to getting to three or four wins for them, which I think is a big deal uh, from where they're sitting. <clears throat> so now to conclude the show, I'm going to jump into my armchair quarterback segment, talking about the Big Ten, and. I was really intrigued looking at this list, um, doing the research I was doing, because I I think it's very obvious who number one is, um, being C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. You don't even have to list his numbers. They're ridiculous. He's a Heisman front runner heading into the season. Basically 4,500 yards passing and 44 touchdowns last year. I mean, his numbers were bananas, and they're going to be unreal this year. Jackson Smith and Jigba, his number one receiver this year, I think is better than Wilson and Olave were last year. And I know that's saying a lot because they were both high NFL draft picks. But I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is better than both those guys. He is special um, than Marvin Harrison Jr. And you can just go down the line. You know Ohio State's going to have players. But C.J. Stroud is top-notch quarterback. And I personally think he is the best quarterback that they've had there in a while. I mean, out of the out of a lot of the guys that they've had there recently, I, I, there's just something about him. I just feel I'm more confident projecting him into the next level than any of the other guys that they've had recently. Um, so whether it be Dwayne Haskins, um, rest in peace, um, or uh, – um, Cardell, Cardell Jones, um, D- D- Braxton Miller, so many guys. There's, I mean, there's been so many guys that just, this, just. But I feel like C.J. Stroud is just, he's different. Um, he is a pocket passing quarterback, and that, and he is spot on with his throws. And <clears throat> it wouldn't shock me if he won the Heisman Trophy. I mean, he is unbelievably talented and gifted and like I said the only conference that I feel that there's a bigger gap between number one and number two in the quarterback rankings is the Sun Belt with Grayson McCall Um, and I'll get to that when I talk about the Sun Belt but from one to two and down the line in the Big Ten it is a gap Um, 
So I'll start at the bottom, though. Um, number 14 is the whole Indiana situation. <clears throat> Just a debacle there last year. Michael Penix Jr. is now since transferred to Washington. Um, and he was the guy a couple years ago. I mean, Indiana looked unbelievable. And then last year they were awful. They won two games. And now you look at their quarterback situation, you don't – I mean – I, I don't even know what to say looking at it. I mean, you got Grant Grimmel, Jack Tuttle, and Donovan McCulley who are probably going to battle until the the day of the game for the job. And it I, I, I just don't think that there's a good or right answer in this situation for anybody. And I, I think Indiana is going to have another extremely difficult season, which is unfortunate because I like Tom Allen as well as a coach. But it's a difficult job, that's for sure. Then number 13, I went Ryan Holinsky at Northwestern. Um, Northwestern is probably the oddest team to, to uh, break down every year. Because they'll have years like last year where they were like the wor- arguably the worst team in the conference. And then you'll have years like a couple years ago where they won the West and they play in the Big Ten Championship and give Ohio State everything they can handle in the title game. So it's just really, really weird. But they've got, they've got question marks in the quarterback position. Um, that's why I have Holinsky so low. And they have the best – they have the best tackle in the country, but uh, they've, they're lacking some talent. Then at number 12, I go Rutgers, Noah, Vedrill. Um, I know they went they went to a bowl game last year, albeit because of COVID, um, but he's got to cut down on his turnovers. That's a big thing for him. Uh, I know he didn't play in every game, but uh got to cut down on the turnovers get a better t interception ratio is seven seven last year so i mean you never want to be one to one um next in line i go with uh a transfer quarterback tommy devito to illinois he was he's been at syracuse um he did some good things at syracuse in the past but last year lost lost his job and uh now he's coming to illinois uh I've had a lot of people, I live in central Illinois, about an hour plus from Champaign, from the University of Illinois. I've had a lot of people that I work with and that I know ask me about Illinois. And I firmly believe that Illinois defensively is going to be okay. They might have the best running back in the Big Ten, possibly, if not debatable. Um, I think what Illinois is missing is consistent quarterback play. So can Tommy DeVito be that guy this year to give them consistent quarterback play? Because I think if they have consistent quarterback play, they can go to a bowl game this year. Um, So with that said, I mean, he definitely needs to be better than the 11th ranked quarterback in the conference. But if he can even get up to seven or eight, I think that gets Illinois into a bowl game, which, which I think is very doable for them. Um, Number 10, I go, uh, Someone I saw in person last year, Spencer Petrus from Iowa. Um, Iowa, I mean, that's just another thing. If they could get consistent quarterback play, what would they be? I mean, but you could say that with 
every Iowa team, really. I mean, the the really, really good Iowa teams have consistent play at quarterback. And the ones that don't are seven and five and eight and four. I mean Iowa's more than good enough to win the Big Ten West, but Spencer Petrus has to play better than he did last year. Ten touchdowns, nine interceptions. You have to have a better ratio. I mean, in that offense, you know you're going to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And as a quarterback, you just have to do your job and not turn the ball over. And if he's able to do that, I think Iowa makes a jump. And that's the same thing with this next guy, uh, probably the next two guys on the list. Number nine, I'm going Graham Mertz from Wisconsin. He's the same exact thing, I feel. I feel like I can say the exact same thing for him. Uh, 10 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. If he if he's able to cut down on the interceptions, you know Wisconsin's going to be able to run the ball tremendously and do everything that they need to do from that regard, and they're not going to turn the ball over on that side. And the defense is going to force turnovers like they always do. Like Wisconsin and Iowa are the same thing to me when it comes to that. You just need consistent quarterback play. If you get consistent quarterback play, you win the division and you go to the Big Ten title game against Ohio State or whoever it may be, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, whoever it is. Um, but that that's what it boils down to, in my opinion, is just whichever one of those guys is able to give you the consistent play that you need, you're going to be successful. And that, again, number eight here, Tanner Morgan from Minnesota, same exact thing, touchdown, 10 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Mo Ibrahim returning at running back, arguably the best running back in the Big Ten. Um, just unbelievable. I mean, if he didn't get hurt in that Ohio State game that opened the year last year, well, Minnesota's entire season turns and Ohio State's turns another way too, potentially. So I think out of those three, Morgan, Mertz, and Petrus, I would rather have Tanner Morgan because I think he he gives you a little bit more from the quarterback position than those other the other two. But nonetheless, if you get the consistent play from any of those three, whichever one gets the most consistent play, I think really puts them in a huge position to win the Big Ten West. So now the top seven uh, are probably guys that you could see possibly playing at the next level. Um, Sean Clifford at Penn State is who I go with at number seven. I think he had a better year last year than a lot of people realize. Um, over 3,000 yards passing and 21 touchdowns. Now, I know Jahan Dotson had a lot to do with that because of how great he was <clears throat> as a wide receiver. But you got to give Clifford some credit in that regard uh, because he's the one who has to make the throws. Um, so, obviously, losing Jahan Dotson will be interesting to see where he where he's at there. They got a younger receiving core now, but still going to give him the nod there. Um, then at number six, another transfer here to Nebraska, Casey Thompson from Texas. Uh, his numbers at Texas were pretty dang good last year, over 2,000 yards and 24 touchdowns. Didn't turn the ball over that much. Um, so <clears throat> I think, as I've said with Adrian Martinez last week and and uh, on the Twitter account a lot. I think Adrian Martinez is going to do tremendous getting a change of scenery to Kansas State. <clears throat> Just like I feel Casey Thompson is going to get a huge boost in this transition to Nebraska. Uh, I've, I really believe Nebraska can turn a corner this year <clears throat> and get to a bowl game. And uh, 
I think he's going to have a lot to say about that. And they, and I think they finally have a quarterback who hopefully isn't going to have as much pressure on him to do as much as Martinez was asked to do. Um, and and uh, a guy who doesn't turn the ball over as much. And I think that's key uh, for them and their success. Number five, I go with Peyton Thorne at Michigan State. And I kind of hinted towards this at the beginning of the show, but <clears throat> I really, really think he can do some great things um, and take Michigan State to another level. He had 3,240 yards passing and 27 touchdowns last year. So he had a really, really productive season. <clears throat> and I only think that's going to carry over into this year. Um, you usually don't see Michigan State having a quarterback having to throw for that many yards, but their running game just wasn't as good last year as it usually is, and I think it's going to get better. So you might throw for less yards and less touchdowns, but that's probably better for Michigan State's offense as a whole. It's not going to mean that he had a worse year. I just think it means that the team's gotten better. But I'm big on him, and I really think he's going to do some good things this year just as I think the Spartans will do some good things this year. <clears throat> Number four, I go with the Michigan combo of Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy. Now, McNamara was the starter last year, and it'll be really, really interesting to see what they do at this position because McNamara threw for over 2,500 yards and 15 touchdowns, and he took him to a college football playoff appearance. But J.J. McCarthy gives you the wow factor. He's that dual threat quarterback who can do things with his legs. But then with his arm, you were able to see some of the throws he made last year um, were just absolutely spot on. And, I mean, I, I, if it were me, that would be the guy I would go with just because I think he's the guy who can take you to the next level. I know J.J. McCarthy or JJ McNamara or Cade McNamara won them games last year and beat Ohio State and played well uh, but I don't know how much else you can get out of him uh, which is unfortunate for him because of how well he played last year it's just JJ McCarthy gives you that wow factor that you need I think to win uh, the the at the next level that Michigan's trying to get to. Number three, I went uh, Talua Tagovailoa, Tua's brother, who's at Maryland. His numbers, I mean, are amazing. Almost 4,000 yards passing and 26 touchdowns. Um, he, does, he, he does need to cut down on turnovers slightly, but what he's asked to do in that offense is, <laughs> I mean, he, he, almost, he almost has to carry him. But he and he's able to do it, and he does a tremendous job. Um, he, I, I think he, I think he's going to play at the next level. Uh, I, I, I'm a fan of his. I think he can do some great things. Um, it's just Maryland as a whole. You just don't know what you're going to get. You, you, you don't. Some, some games they look almost unbeatable, and other games you're just like, what's going on? Um, but it's usually not Tukavaloa's. It's not his fault. And number two, I go Aiden O'Connell from Purdue. And this is a young man who is a lot better than what people think. Almost 4,000 yards passing last year and 28 touchdowns. Now, with that being said, obviously David Bell is now off to the NFL. 
and their number one returning receiver was just dismissed from the program because of being academically ineligible. So O'Connell is losing two huge, huge pieces to the puzzle at Purdue, but he is still the second best quarterback in the conference. Um, he, he, I think he's proven that with his play, and you have to give him that nod until somebody takes it from him. Then I already talked about number one, C.J. Stroud. It's not even close. If if you had to ask me who is going to win the Heisman this year, he would be my front runner and favorite, even with Bryce Young returning. I just think C.J. Stroud and the numbers he's going to put up this year at Ohio State are going to be just astronomical. Approaching 5,000 yards passing potentially and 50 touchdowns. Um, just unbelievable numbers. and. Uh, that's how I see it. So again, thank you guys so much for listening weekly. Um, always feel free to follow me uh, I'm personally on Twitter at coach underscore B will. Uh, please, please, please follow the podcast Twitter account at TNT college foot one. Always putting new content out there daily. Um, and please, uh, Follow, like, subscribe, everything you need to do for the podcast on whichever platform you're using. Uh, feel free to look into the uh, podcast Twitter or the merchandise store. Um, I got that link in the bio on Twitter. And again, guys, thank you so much for listening. Have a good night. God bless.